Hello, hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 15 of the One Love Art Sessions. If this is your first time with us, welcome. If you've been here before, welcome back. No matter who you are, make sure you go ahead and like and subscribe because the bills don't pay themselves. And me and Crespo have bills. Uh, as always, I am your co-host, James LJ, artist, designer, beard connoisseur. Uh, I've been an artist and a designer in the New York City area for the past like 15 years. And of course, I am only one half of the One Love Art Sessions uh, host. So I'll pass it off to my secret lover, my Julie <laughs> Romeo. We will die together. Uh, Crespo, what's up, man? Thank you, brother. Um, and that beard connoisseur thing, I'm going to uh, I'm going to let that one slide for right for right now, because I know exactly where you were going with that one. But um, what's up, One Love community? I'm Crespo, family man, artist and educator and the other half of love. Thanks for joining us. If this is your first time here, Jay and I put together a virtual series called the One Love Art Sessions. Our goal is to bring talent and community together for creativity, heart to heart discussions and chill vibes. For this episode, we're joined by a power couple, Dominique Nieves and Emil Carjavier. Dominique is a director, writer, actress, and founder of Iron Glove Productions. Amilcar is an actor, writer, and producer. We always try our best to introduce our guests, but we always miss something. Can you help our listeners maybe get to know you a little better? Dominique, could you kick us off? Hey, thanks for having me. I'm a New Yorkian writer, director, and actress from New York City. And as you mentioned, I created Iron Glove Productions. We make films, and we have some outreach that we do. We have High school and college students come shadow on set to get that onset experience and I created the Read Latinx Writers Initiative and I've been matching aspiring Latinx writers with showrunners, executives, and getting them script reads and getting their work out there. Thank you. Milko. Yeah, um, thank you for having us. So again, my name is Milkar Javier. Uh, I'm also born and raised in New York. Uh, actor, writer, producer, most recently I've been in a couple indie films that have been making the festival circuit and really kicking it actually uh, internationally, which is just exciting to see. Um, it's always cool when you don't like produce a project and it's just like, but you're a part of it and it's just blowing up. It's like, yes. Um, yeah, so, you know, you pr pretty much got it for the most part, uh, grant winning writer. Uh, I also am a software developer. I like to say that in between writing scripts, I am writing scripts. That's going uh -huh. from <laughs> the writing to the coding. Uh, I am a proud Afro-Latino, a proud hermano of Ganida Latina, Gamda Upsilon, Gamda Turning Incorporated. Um, and I also have a beard, uh, but I wouldn't <laughs> say I'm a connoisseur. <laughs> and, and for those of you who obviously are just listening and can't see, um, when he said, I'm killing it on the circuit, Dominique started like shaking her shoulders. Like mm -hmm. get yourself someone that shakes their shoulders when you say Fact. killing it. Like if the, if the other person doesn't shake their shoulders and go into like a mini Harlem shuffle shake thing, like you got to move a total, on. Yeah, just a total support dance. <laughs> gotta love that. <laughs> All, All right, guys. Thank you and welcome again, right? <laughs> yes. Right. Um, so let's jump uh, right into uh, today's topic. So we want to talk to, we want to talk about obstacles with you both. Uh, artists obviously encounter obstacles of all kinds from parents being unsupportive, uh, the cliche starving artist, and even the new global pandemic experience uh, has touched different artists in different ways. 
So why don't we uh, start by sharing some of the early obstacles you had to overcome entering the film industry? That first obstacle can sometimes be the most traumatic experience or uh, at least possess the power to determine what happens next in our career. Uh, so if you guys can really kind of just dive into there, we'll start there and see where we go. So I think it's really funny, actually. I just finished talking. I was in an acting class uh, prior to our session, and I, I was talking about pretty much this exact subject. We were... The discussion was about the what was the earliest memory of someone hindering your creative ability, someone mm -hmm. kind of telling you, hey, stop doing that when it's like, this is who I am. I am a creative. And I was uh, it brought me back to when I was like in the third grade. And this is before I was like an actor in quotations. I was just like a kid who was really interested in playing Macbeth or I forgot what Shakespeare thing it was, but it was definitely like one of the Shakespeare's in elementary school, like mm. definitely not the type of like content for a, a, like a seven-year-old, but still <laughs> I was really excited to do it. And, um, you know, I auditioned, I actually got the part and I remember a bunch of my friends telling me like, why are you doing that? Like, that's not like for, for lack of better terms, it's not a manly thing to do. Like you shouldn't be on stage acting and doing stuff like that. Like you are, you're, you're a male Latino, like you have to be doing X, Y, Z. So, I think my first obstacle is really funny because um, they were trying to kind of define what it is to be a man and using that to stump my creativity. But the jokes on them, because since I didn't do that, I kind of, I dropped out of the play. But as a result of that, I actually started playing music. I joined my school's mm -hmm. band. And that in itself is also quote unquote, not masculine from, from their point of view, just because I have like a recorder or a clarinet or a saxophone not coming out of my mouth and it's a relatively phallic object and it's just really ignorant, but side note. Um, so playing music kind of led me into dancing, which is in itself not a quote unquote masculine thing. And it continued, that trend continued, you know, I'm in high school at this point and I'm dancing salsa and I love it. It's like, I'm, this is like my thing. And I, I'm, I'm literally dancing. Like, five days a week after school and these people are critiquing me for not playing basketball or not playing baseball as a Dominican. Uh, and the joke continues on them. You know, I, I started dancing and that led me to um, performing in the step team of our fraternity. And then that led me into acting. So the whole cycle kind of like went back to third grade where it's like, you tried to stop me from being creative by putting this enable on me. But that impetus kind of led me through all these other creative routes and allowed me mm. to grow as a creative to ultimately come back to what you didn't want me to do right. so i think that was probably my first real obstacle in the creative world but like in regards to like professional acting um i, I started acting around 2015 uh, a couple years ago five years ago or so and i think my first obstacle is really just like imposter syndrome just i you know i, I went about acting through unconventional means uh, likewise with writing, producing, uh, unconventional means. And there's always this idea of, am I good enough to be in this space? Uh, and that is an internal obstacle that I, both in the creative world, but also as a software developer, um, I'm always dealing with. You're always trying to kind of like stomp down those demons. And hmm. I've kind of allowed myself to accept the fact that I will not always be that I, I won't always be the most talented person in a room, but if I'm not, and I feel that imposter syndrome, that's a good thing. That means that I'm in a room where I can earn something. I'm in a room where mm -hmm. there are people who are much better than me and I can just be a sponge and take sure. in whatever I can from them. So yeah, I think- That's great perspective. 
Yeah, I think, you know, you touched upon something that's super interesting and something that I think, you know, especially in the, you know, Latino slash Hispanic culture, we still haven't been able to kick this idea that creativity is non-manly. Like no matter what type of creativity it is, like you're a painter or you're an actor or you're a musician, um, you know, it's seen as like, why are you not, like you said, like, why are you not playing baseball? Why are you not playing basketball? And it's like, well, this is because what I like, this is what I like, you know, it's, and it goes so beyond also the fact that a lot of our parents or grandparents came to this country because they wanted to afford us opportunities to be whatever we wanted to be. Right. And then we do that. And they're like, why are you, no, no, you have to be, you have to, you have to do this. This is no, you can't do that. So it's, it's such an interesting just cycle of like, you know, and I think I'm hoping our generation is finally in a place where we have this understanding that we can start to break that cycle and, and be able to open the door to say, you know, there's no such thing as this being masculine or feminine. This is whatever you're into is, is who you are as a person. And, you know, you can play baseball if you want to, or you can face paint or you can dance ballet and all of that is, is who you are as a person. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's, we're definitely in this place right now where I think at least this generation, we have a hold to be able to kind of start to break that cycle. Just want to say you do not want me on a baseball field like i will drop <laughs> everything i will not catch anything do no, me buddy, if you jump on a baseball field you won't be the best one out there and you'll be a sponge and you'll start to absorb right <laughs> that he's breaking through the dominican stereotypes yes tell us a story sure i you know there, it's, it's a couple of things especially when you say early so it's like how far you want to go right but I think one of, so like when you talk about really early, you know, growing up when I was very, very, very small, I watched, you know, novelas. Yep. And that didn't look like South Brooklyn, right? That didn't look like the life that I lived. Mm-hmm. And then American television had little, if any, Latinx stories, barely any Latinx representation. And so I didn't really see that as something for us. And then you know, you're a woman from New York. This wasn't like, even though we have an industry in New York, you know, it's, it's, I don't really think it's seeded from here that much. You know, a lot of things. So shows, for instance, that are written here, they interview in LA. Um, They will literally fly people out from LA to New York to, to work on productions here. Right. So it was just this idea in my mind of, that's something you're born into. Like if your dad is a director, then you can be a director, right? You know, if your dad is a producer, then you could be an actor. That was, you know, how my mind went. And I think it takes time to even realize that this is a job, partially because of what we already spoken about that like, this isn't a thing that we do, but especially how do you know that it is a thing that we do if you don't see any representation outside of your, your little bubble, right? Like if you don't see it on TV, how do you know this is a thing? How do you know it's even possible? And then I think, especially being Latinx, especially being a woman, like you just, you get pigeonholed a lot. And so like, let's say you go a little farther and you decide, well, I'm gonna do this anyway. You start in school and you're gonna do it. And then when you try to do it in in real life, in the real world, you start getting pigeonholed. And you know, the story I always tell is I was just tired of playing sexy Latina sidekick, (laughs) right? On the acting side, I was like, okay, I can do things other than this. 
and just the level of discrimination for Latinx people. And I think people still don't have us figured out that we look like a lot of things. And it doesn't matter what you look like, you're always told you don't look Latinx. Amilcar and I do not look alike. We both get the same thing. And it's like, then what are you looking for exactly? <laughs> just like, what is this idea that you've come up with? I, I don't know. I think it's hard to like break out of the box that people put you in. People impress these ideas on you that you don't belong. You know, Amilcar brought up the imposter syndrome. And I don't think I necessarily had that. I think it wasn't a thing of like, oh, I can't do well enough. It's just, is that a place for us, right? How do you, what is the access point? So I think inaccessibility is a huge part of it. If you don't see it, how do you know that you could do that? Right. Who do you learn that from? Hmm. <sighs> okay. <laughs> it, it, I, I, we're definitely setting the stage for much bigger conversations and we're gonna need, we're gonna need some time to wrap around for um, some of the commentary you made about early experiences, which is, which is not, in, it, I, the word isn't interesting and it's certainly not uncommon, but these things follow us, right? These, ex, these earlier experiences. So um, let's, let's go a different direction and then it'll allow us to wrap back, wrap back <laughs> around again. But um, so this question is gonna sound general, but I think that, I think that as, um, let's see, as actors, I think you're going to, um, I think you're gonna understand the question where I'm coming from. So let me try this. So Amilcar, how do you identify and how does the industry determine that for you? That is a great question. Um, so I identify as Afro-Latino. I am Dominican. That is the most specific you can get. I mean, the most specific you can get is Dominican from Washington Heights. But like, I am, I am Dominican. That is the most specific you can get. Dominicans are a part of Latinos, Latinx people who have a subset of Afro-Latinos. I am Black, I am Dominican. That is where the Afro-Latino comes from. So that's what I would generally um, identify as. So if you need the most specific answer is I am Dominican. If you just ask me, hey, what, what is your like, ethnic culmination or what is your ethnic background? I am Afro-Latino because I am Black, but I am specifically Dominican. Um, at the same time, that is not what I'm generally cast as. Um, I don't, it's, it's kind of, Dominique kind of mentioned it, you know, it's like, I got, I got the next people, we, we look so different. You know, you have someone who is like myself, someone who looks like Dominique, we're, we're completely different in, in how we look, um, but we are both Latinx. Like it's, it, it doesn't make sense to say like, no, that's not what you are. That's not what you are. But at the same time, I get I get cast for Pakistani more often than not. I get cast. Um, it's it's hilarious. Like the number of times that I've been told, like, oh, you know, I I went to um, I was I was on vacation uh, when vacations were still a thing, um, <laughs> and we, we were we were actually in Dubai and it was it was amazing. Um, but I, while I was out there, I had people coming up to me, speaking to me in, in language I had never heard of before, and I'm just like, mm. I don't know what you're <laughs> saying. And and they told me, oh, I thought you were from Pakistan he was he was asking me where to go to prayer to pray and I'm just like I, I would love to help you I I'm not <laughs> from here I don't know where you're supposed to go um and that that happens often you know when I was um as a software developer my as my first internship I my all my coworkers they actually would take me to a bunch of different North Indian restaurants and it was great like it was my first time eating this, this type of food and now I love 
like mango lassi and I, I, I love that kind mm. of food it's so spicy and it tastes amazing but they were taking me to these restaurants so often because they weren't kind of unsure of what I was but they assumed I was from that general region <laughs> and so one day we were in um we were in the pantry and we were all talking uh and they started talking this language I had never heard of before and then they talk they start they start talking to me and I'm just like I don't know what you're saying and they're like oh I thought you were and I was like no I'm That's Dominican so <laughs> like, and it's just like that happens so often in casting you know it's um I'm I'm a big proponent for authenticity and I I would love to allow people to get as I would love for casting directors and, and and for writers to be able to get as specific as possible when it comes to casting someone you know if you're if your character is supposed to be uh, a Puerto Rican from South Brooklyn like cast someone who is Puerto Rican from South Brooklyn like that would be the exact ideal situation and I, I think there's this idea that oh but we don't have any actors who are Puerto Rican from South Brooklyn and it's like they're out there you just need to you just need to find them like you need to work to find them and and the fact that you need to work to find them is part of the problem because there isn't enough representation to allow it to be just obvious oh this person is a puerto rican from south brooklyn like mm. obviously that person is is perfect for this role All right. mm -hmm. and as a result people just kind of it, unfortunately it's just it's it's lazy um mm. and there has been a trend that's you know it's kind of shifting now and and i appreciate that and there, there's there's a lot of uh positive movements in regards to representation and a lot of um different companies both at, on the casting side but then also on, on the representation side who are doing their part to make sure that and by representation i mean managers and agents yes. um, but they're doing their part to make sure that authenticity is portrayed on screen uh but it's it's just not enough you know there's there's a difference between hey i'm gonna cast this afro latino to play like an alien or whatever which is great like i'm happy that that person got that opportunity but why is the, why does the story have to be out of, about an alien for example like why don't we have more afro-latino stories mm -hmm. like so there's there's the aspect of representation on screen like i am an afro-latino character actor playing an afro-latino but then there's also representation behind the screen and who's like the stories that are actually being told right. um and then there's a whole another discussion there like what kinds of stories are being told about latinos afro-latinos specifically but like what kinds of stories are being told and and how limiting those stories are you know i i mean dominic can, can go into way more detail about this but like i, I was tired of playing like like scary drug dealer rapist scary guy because i'm <laughs> i'm brown and have a beard slash terrorist because apparently i'm pakistani like yeah. it's like I, I give me more complex characters i can play them you know um, right. and that's that's not there's a huge spectrum of what it is to be um uh afro-latino and right. It's just not properly represented, unfortunately. Right. Okay. Latina sidekick. You want to expand on that? I, I, I want to just say I am the sidekick. Yeah. Oh, sidekick. we know. Oh, trust oh, us. Yeah. We know. Yeah. Right. It's, it's the casting really directors funny. that don't know. <laughs> because like last night in, in our group, me with our writer friends, someone was like, happy birthday to Dominique's sidekick. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Uh, no, we're, we're a cool partnership. <laughs> yeah, I've had, so it's funny, casting technically isn't allowed to ask you these, like they're not allowed to ask you your ethnicity, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. And so I'll never forget this woman. <laughs> she's like, where are you from? And I was like, Brooklyn. And she just sat there and she went, mm. 
Brooklyn, <laughs> and her eyes and, and I was like oh oh I, okay yes Puerto Rican I was like I'll give it to you I understand what you're trying yeah, to do right. she, and her eyes lit up and she's like yes yes okay <laughs> it's just so funny Boricua yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, the amount of times people have said Boricua to me oh, I can't you. that sounds terrible barbecue like that just bad barbecue <laughs> I, I, I cannot anyway but yeah it's I don't know I don't know if I have the secret code to casting being more inclusive. I think part of it, so if there aren't any roles for us, for instance, then talent agents and managers aren't going to represent us because if I'm a manager and agent and I'm looking at my my breakdowns and I see I get one Latinx role for a maid or a gangsta, right? Per week, just one. And I get 2,500 for a white leading male. Mm-hmm. I'll represent maybe one Latino actor to make sure I have in my back pocket for when a gangster comes up. But otherwise I don't need to be representing Latino sure. males because I don't, I don't have nowhere to send them. Mm-hmm. Right? right. So like, it, it's kind of like the snake eating its tail, right? Like if the, if the, the reps don't see that there's roles to submit Latinx actors to, they're not going to sign more actors. And then the casting directors are going to call up the agents and say, Hey, some of your talent and the agents are going to say, I don't know. I don't have nobody. Mm-hmm. And then that's going to be the excuse for casting someone who's not Latinx. And this is a big problem we have because people are always saying like, oh, erasure, blah, 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 Spe- especially Latinx community. But we're not talking about the fact that because we look like everything else, everybody takes our roles. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and I'm not saying like it, it doesn't happen on both sides or whatever. It's like a Milkar's case, but it, it's just it's, it's, it's enough. We have people who are not Latinx nominated for awards for portraying Latinx characters. And if your argument is like, oh, but you know, we need to recognize that Latinx people look or are white, black, Asian, blah, blah, blah. Okay, then cast one of those Latinx people who are also <laughs> white, black, Asian, sure. right? Why aren't we casting actual sure. Latinx people? We're just so underrepresented. We are hyper underrepresented. We make up 5% of all speaking roles. We make up 25% of all film ticket sales. Hmm. Think about that. We literally are a quarter of the film ticket sales. Hmm. Why are we so underrepresented? So something comes to mind and, and uh, this is a little, this is a little bit off, off, uh, I guess where I was going, but um, so I know you've heard this because Jay and I, we, we hear it in, in different uh, capacities as well, but if it's not there for you, make it. I know you're both writers. Um, but isn't that easier said than done? I mean, that's why I started Iron Glove, right? It was because making movies is a lot of work, even short ones, even your first one. If, if you're listening right now and you want to make your first movie, start on your cell phone, start without spending a ton of money so that you can kind of get all the, the bumps out of the way mm. and then go, you know, start making bigger ones, start recruiting your friends, trading, and then you put in a little bit of your own money and then you apply for a grant and hopefully get it. Like, essentially, that's what we did. But that's so much work. And that's why we branded Iron Glove. And I said, okay, this is going to be our production company. We're going to try and really make something out of this and grow it because it's very easy to tell us to make something ourselves. And even doing that, I was speaking to an executive recently. Everyone says bootstrap, bootstrap, bootstrap. Hmm. And it's actually a big part of it. Uh, And I, I didn't get to bring this up when you talked about like those early obstacles. I think a little bit later when I started becoming a a professional actually doing this, 
a little bit of my obstacles was kind of fear and investing in myself. It actually takes a lot of money to get started. And that's a scary hurdle, especially when you're not going to get money in return for this investment for a long time. You know, like if you're the actor, you need the headshots, you need the the actor's access, all these things that we, we use cost a lot of money. If you're a writer, you need the the software to write the scripts. You need the classes, right? Actors do everybody. Directors, same thing. You need a camera. You need the editing software, which costs so much money. This stuff mm. takes, it's just such a huge investment. And so I think that was a hurdle for me to get over too, that I was afraid to invest in myself because, mm. you know, I was afraid of being poor. <laughs> like a lot of people do, right? Yeah. Like yeah. you kind of have to go through those that process. And so once we've already pulled our bootstraps up, then you need to make the next level, right? For instance, like we did that. We did the cell phone film. We did the grant winning film. We did another grant winning film. I, you know, it's not really announced yet, but I have another grant winning film coming. Hey. It's like a bigger grant. So that's exciting. You know, knock on wood, hopefully. <laughs> so, you know, that's the thing that we'll be making next year. <laughs> now that I've done all that, the next the next step really is like to do this as a job as opposed to just always looking for grants. It's time to go studio. It's time to go network. If the executives don't say yes and give you the chance, you bootstrapped up to what, right? (laughs) There's, there's people Mm -hmm. who are gatekeepers. There are people at the top who have to say yes. I think just kind of, if I could really quickly on that, it's really interesting when you think of, just the difference between having someone backing you and pushing you versus you on your own. Like you can have the exact same package as an actor or as a writer, your, as an actor, your headshot, your resume, your website, your reel, and then the, the power goes on the writing side and you can be perfect, but then you're not even considered. Like it's just, you're, you're just ignored. Your emails, everything is just completely ignored. Now, once you have someone who's on the other side pushing you, suddenly you're an attractive client. Suddenly we're going to give you a chance. And it's, of course, it's the same thing in, 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 in a bunch of other, other industries. You know, you can apply to Google and, and be ignored until someone actually refers you. But it's just mm-hmm. really interesting, the idea of bootstrapping up to this like crazy level of, of, of perfection. And, you know, you've, you've, you're making high quality stuff. But then if you don't have this community supporting you to get to the next level, you can just you, you'll never be able to open that gate. Uh, right. And this idea of make it yourself. You know, one of my friends, he once told me, he called it the, the brown tax. And I always bring that up. So you're the underrepresented, marginalized person who probably has to work a little bit harder than the people to the right and left of you, mm-hmm. who possibly have more role models, more mentors than you do, maybe more financial stability, whatever the case is. People who have a little bit of leg up on you, you're already working harder to try and be at the same level as they are. And now as the brown person, create your own mentorship opportunities like I have done, right? Create your own organizations, create your own work, do all these things that are a little bit harder for you to do in the first place, mm-hmm. right? It's that idea of need a mentor, but also be the mentor all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm. I agree. And I mean, you know, you, you, hear, you hear countless stories. You know, you're talking about you know, if you want to make it and you're of a certain ethnicity, you have to, you know, do this, then do this, then do this, then do this, then do this. And then you hear other stories in Hollywood and it's like, oh, how did you get your break? And they're like, well, I was standing in the gap 
Yeah. And someone was like, oh, man, you're the you're the face. You what I've been looking for. And, you know, now I'm a millionaire. And it's like, oh, cool. <laughs> it's like, all right. And it's like, you know, and, and it's funny, too, that, um, you know, we live in this funny Internet culture where people see things and they critique it, but they critique it in funny ways. And I see it all the time where they'll take like six male white actors. Right. And they'll be like, please tell me that this is not the same person. This is the same person. And it it's funny because every picture is the same angle. They all have the same mm-hmm. smile. And it's like, this is all the same person. Oh, yeah. <laughs> look at it. And you're like, oh, my God, they are so interchangeable. <laughs> it's so funny you bring up that story. Because so my first year at Columbia, I'm this little girl from Brooklyn. And I mean, I got my grades and everything and, and worked real hard. But it was a different world that I didn't know about. And so like one of my roommates... I was about to get in the shower and she was like, sorry, I need the shower right now. My mom got me invited to an HBO party. <laughs> so I didn't even comprehend this at the time. And her mom was like this super, super famous lady on TV. <laughs> and it was just so funny the way she was like, I need the bathroom. Okay. I'm going to an HBO party. And it's just like, and we were like 18 years old, like things that just, <laughs> you know what I mean? The access that she mm, had mm. right it's just so different she have just been like oh my god you're going to i'm going <laughs> that's something that i i think about it yeah. now and realize sure. back then i was just like this girl i gotta take a shower like <laughs> i mean i yeah. couldn't afford hbo so i was the level <laughs> yeah the level of privilege uh that a lot of us don't realize when we're younger and then we look back at it and be like wow like you can even grow up with people and you're just young and you just don't really understand how the world works yet. And then you get older and you're like, wow, we hung out every day and we were in totally two totally different worlds. Like right. when we stopped hanging out, we both went home. There's two universes apart. Um, That's weird. But yeah, it's, it's super interesting, um, especially growing up in Manhattan or New York where it's, you have all these, this different demographics of people living in the same neighborhoods or in proximity to each other because the zone neighborhoods are just like one block from the, from the other is like night and day. Um, especially like in current Brooklyn, it's like, it's wild. Like you can walk for two (laughs) minutes and feel like you're in a totally different city. Um, so it's just, it's interesting. Um, so shifting gears a little bit, I should say a little bit, we've been talking a lot about, you know, ethnicity and how that plays a role and um those obstacles um so i'm going to shock you a little bit dominique but <laughs> yeah if you haven't noticed the rest of us are not women <laughs> so you, you, hold on you, hold on is that what the whole beard thing is about yeah yeah yeah, yeah. You, oh. you didn't get the memo <laughs> you i wouldn't definitely... have shaved my beard if i knew <laughs> I would, I would have shaved my beard if I had not. They, yes. And we, <laughs> yeah, would have, we wouldn't have been able to tell you guys apart. And it would have been <laughs> It would have been chaotic. <laughs> um, we've obviously heard a lot about you as we've spoken uh, today. And you've basically shown us that you're not afraid of that glass ceiling that exists right now as, as a woman. Um, but we don't, you know, we can try our hardest to understand that and I guess be an ally to the obstacles it is being a woman in, in any industry, right. uh, but especially in the industry you're in. Um, so how, you know, tell us about that side of things. 
<laughs> that's probably like three episodes long but i, I guess yo, legit, i was about to say how long y'all got you would end with this time yeah i guess <laughs> can i just can i just first say something as a man sorry <laughs> yeah right that's so that's yeah. essentially all i need to say like that's yeah. that's, that's, yeah, it. that's it that's just to you guys Bill out, like oh I, I can explain this let me explain it yeah. for her <laughs> You know what's funny? And this is a story that I, I usually don't tell so publicly, so I'm gonna leave names out. Yeah. And I met someone who seems like a very well-meaning man, very supportive of upcoming artists. And that's why he was taking these meetings. Mm-hmm. I didn't even say I didn't even say a word. I don't even know if I told him my name yet. And he goes, You look ethnic. Are you Latina? <laughs> yes you're very lucky you know Hollywood is all about the Latinas right now and you know they're really overreacting to the lack of women in the industry so you're like in a really good place because you're a woman and you're a Latina (laughs) and there's just so much irony to that to this idea that being the hyper underrepresented marginalized community puts you at any kind of advantage oh and, and it's something that I always, when people kind of used to give me, and this this starts young, but I, especially when I got into Columbia, people assumed it's an affirmative action thing when I actually had, what's funny, they have affirmative action programs and I was not eligible because my SAT score was too high. So they decided oh. that like my socioeconomic status and my like racial ethnic background had nothing to do, like it didn't affect me enough. Mm-hmm. to give me one of these programs. It was actually quite a bummer because I think I would have really benefited from one of these programs that helps transition you from high school to the Ivy League. It's like a special summer program that kind of prepares you for the studying that you're going to need to do. And they literally told me like, you're just not eligible anymore. And it was so unfortunate because I like, killed myself to kind of up my score the second round to make sure I got into the school in the first place. But then I wasn't eligible for like this special program to help students from like you know, a huge public school like I came from. But anyway, so this idea that we're at any kind of advantage has always been so ironic to me because especially in in my experience, if you're Latinx and trying to go out for something, they're going to take one. And so now we're all fighting for the one spot and they're going to take the people who are the most high achieving people. You know, I've, I've gone to three schools in higher education now I've always noticed that the minority students are the ones who always come from the Ivy Leagues, the highest achieving. Why? It's, it's so interesting. We have this whole class full of our more represented counterparts. And the five minorities that you took, you only took them from Ivy Leagues. Were there no other minorities in the whole country applying mm-hmm. to this school? Mm-hmm. <laughs> only from the top schools in the country. And it's just... It's what we have to do to get here is so Mm. much different from what other people have to do. Mm. Listen, I I think men can do things. Like, I'm very proud of you all. Like, the three of you are here today. Like, give yourself a pat on the back. Like, I I buttoned this shirt all alone. Hey, I I have learned how to, like, scramble eggs. Yeah, there you go. You put like these deep voices and you have like the, the, the bravery to put them on the microphone. I just, I commend you all. Yeah. So I, I did want to say one thing, um, yeah. which I found really funny. Um, I remember I, I was being interviewed a, a little while back 
and someone asked me how it was being directed by a woman um and it was just like I, it was a it was a funny moment because it was like if you were looking at me and if you were thinking like seeing what I was thinking about it's like damn did they catch him with a trick question and I'm just <laughs> like I'm thinking in my head I'm like wait this is a stupid question like it's not a trick yeah. question it's a stupid question it's like yeah I, I get to respond it was like like being directed by anyone else like by I, a I director I, yeah like I didn't see I didn't see what being a, a woman like why that makes a difference it's like what mm -hmm. am I supposed to have like this like complexity like this kind of like masculinity issue it's like oh i'm not gonna have a woman tell me what to do like you're gonna tell me that it's action no i start when i want to start like i'm gonna say right. my guy when it's i'm a man like what like what did you expect <laughs> and it was funny because when i when i gave my response it was just like you know it was just like being directed by anyone else you know it was like a real like oh yeah that's a good response and i'm like what is it really a good response like, is that a good question it just didn't really make sense to me so, <laughs> i would like, i, I would have probably just said I'm married, so I've been practicing for this for years. Like being in a position where a woman is just telling me what to do and I have to listen, I'm good at that. I'm really good at that. <laughs> I just found it really funny. Um, no, but it is. It, yeah. I mean, the it, fact it, it that is. they think it's a trick question and they're going to stump you on it, it's just like... Well, sorry, I just I don't think they were actually trying to stump me, but it's just like I can I can picture someone seeing that question asked and thinking oh damn they got him now like what's he gonna say that's yeah. look or what are you gonna do now and it's like huh yeah you don't <laughs> you don't ask that question without thinking in your mind that you are asking a profound question like you are you are breaking ground with you know this is it this is the this is the story we've been waiting for yeah you also don't you also don't ask that question if you internally don't think that there would be a difference to you like you have a feeling Sure. You know, there, there's some bias built in, whether someone likes it or not, to ask a question like that, because the first thing they're going to do is they're going to put themselves in that position, right, in, in their mind, and they themselves feel like they would feel different in that way. So they want to know, they, I think, you know, it could be a lot of different reasons, but one of those could be like, they want validation of their own bias, and then you don't give it to them, and they're like, but, but, <laughs> but. <laughs> one thing I'd really like to add, because I feel like. We're, we're talking a lot about the problems and not about the solutions. Sure. <laughs> so I have to say, a lot of the people who I knew were men. Binary cis men, you know, like, that's who I saw on set. Those are the people who directed me. I am not sure off the top of my head if in like a studio level, I've ever been directed by a woman, if I'm being honest. Okay. So... I'm very lucky to have become a part of organizations that are geared towards women in film and help me create that network and help me meet those people. When I have my sets, when I'm producing the movie, we have DPs, we have grips, we have all these things that are traditionally cis men, all those roles, non-binary women, that's what we got in those roles. And, and they're doing a, a good job. Sometimes they're doing a better job. I, again, I think men are really like so accomplished. Y'all could do things, <laughs> but like sometimes you just need a woman's touch, right? Like it's just like sometimes I just need a woman who I can like, who I can go gossip with and drink wine with, right? Like that's what I need. <laughs> I, I, I can't hire these men who I can't hang out with. <laughs> uh, so then we should at this very moment quickly applaud you and and changing that culture because really. Um, we asked earlier, you know, I, I, I made fun of the question of, uh, you know, what do you do? Then they go make it. 
But um, but honestly, I mean, if somebody isn't doing doing it for us, then what is the alternative, right? I mean, we do have to then make it. Okay, let's talk about global pandemic and we the artists. All right. We're seeing seasonal returns, uh, seasonal series returning to filming, movies getting back on schedules, and um, I'm looking, we're looking towards you now to help us understand what that looks like on the indie side of things. However, I think a good way to start this conversation is, actually, is to actually talk about um, Art with Impact, The Grant, and Mask. And I think that will segue right into, unintentionally, how the pandemic has affected filming. <laughs> So, uh, Dom, so let me see. Um, Amilcar, you want to take? You want to start this one? Yeah, yeah, I, I could, I could right. start it. Um, so I think so. Just to give the the, the listeners some background, uh, I recently won a grant from an organization called Art with Impact, which focuses on creating uh, safe spaces for people to discuss mental health issues through arts. Uh, particularly, the grant was to create a short film, five minutes or less in length, discussing the mental health effects of toxic masculinity. Um, I was one of five people who won that grant. There was another grant um, during the same cycle regarding the mental health effects um, around LGBTQ plus experiences. Uh, there were five winners there, but still, I won the Toxic Masculinity one. Um, and I created this uh, short film directed by Dominique uh, and also starring Dominique uh, called Mask, which focuses on a young boy uh, who is digging with bullying at school, as well as a super hyper-masculine abusive father at home, played by myself. Uh, and the idea is that we use this film to kind of show, or, or rather use a dynamic between the father and the son to, to kind of show how the youth views the older generations and kind of acts as sponges, as I was kind of alluding to earlier, they act as sponges and take in everything that they are being taught either explicitly or implicitly from their examples. So scenes where the father is being super, you know, kind of arguing with, the, with, with his wife, uh, screaming at her. Uh, we don't actually show any violence, but the idea of her being scarred from his past actions, uh, both physically and emotionally, those are all seeped in by the boy. And then how does that kind of come out of the boy in response to the bully? So that's essentially what the film um, is about and what it covers. And we filmed it January 25th. I believe we wrapped around that same time. It was a, a two-day shoot. Uh, and that in itself was crazy just because we had this deadline of April 15th. The granting organization gave us a deadline for April 15th. And of course, the pandemic like really hit New York uh, around late March, March and whatnot. Yeah, yeah March around there. Uh, so obviously, there's this like situation where it's like, what do we do? There's a pandemic. And and we were in a really weird situation because um, the grant was for $5,000, which sounds like a lot of money. $5,000 sounds great. But when you're making a film, a five-minute film, you can really blow all of that in like, mm. just equipment. And especially when we want to pay everyone, it's like yeah. now you're really losing a good amount of money. Uh, I'll be honest, I didn't expect this film to be so expensive. Uh, I kind of was hoping to, to pocket a little bit of the money afterwards <laughs> and actually pay us. Um, but the... The film itself ultimately ended up being a little over $6,000, close to $7,000 to actually finally compete. And obviously that's around $2,000 that came out of pocket. Now, at the end of March, when the pandemic really hit, I was laid off. So suddenly I no longer had income to just, 
I was I was totally fine with going over budget um, because I had a job that was paying me relatively well and I was okay with, I was really passionate about this project and I wanted to make sure that I had enough money to fund it appropriately. But suddenly I'm broke. Like it's like, what am I doing? I cannot spend any money on post-production. We had these crazy animation ideas, sound design. There's an um, entire spoken word aspect to the poem and I wanted to have like, you know, I wanted to get into a booth and record the spoken word piece that I wrote and, and then like create this, compose this, 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 this theme behind the spoken word. There was a lot left to do yeah. when we finished produ production, but we had no money. So what we did was we just, we kind of just said, okay, I guess we're doing all of that ourselves. And when I say ourselves, it's more like Dominique, like just reiterated said, okay, sound design, color grading, like just like, making the cut like all of these different aspects she just said all right i'll do it and she just did it um <laughs> and I'll, I'll i'll take the uh the animation i'll take the the music composition we were we had to invest and get a, a sound booth dominique set that up and it was it was really great um that allowed me to record the actual uh spoken word piece but that in itself was such a stressful experience just like mm -hmm. the idea of all right, I'm trying to get another job. I'm interviewing, I'm prepping for these interviews while trying to finish this film while I have this like April 15th deadline, like later, and it sounds like a good amount of time between January to April, but it was right there. And there's a global pandemic in the backdrop, just oh just yeah, for, it's for funsies. There. Yeah, and this is like when we were like all fighting for toilet paper. Like this is like, you're, you're, you're not sure where you're gonna get your groceries while you have all of these different things going on. And that was just, <laughs> insane um I, I to this day i can't believe we actually got it done we made something that i'm actually really proud of uh and actually just the other day yesterday i um with art with impact i was able to, to take part in a, a screening of the film uh and talking with a, a bunch of high school students about it and it was really impactful and just looking at what we were able to create with all of those different stressors and all the pressure that we had on us it's just amazing um, and it's a true testament to the idea of indie filmmaking. You know, you, if you want to get something done, you'll figure out a way to do it. Whether it's at the time when we originally started the project, I was fine with just outsourcing the, the post-production and paying for it, or post-pandemic, just learning After Effects, learning Premiere, learning right. Audition, and just doing it ourselves. And I, I'm better for it now. You know, I, I have this sure. new skill set because of the fact that I needed to learn it. And, and likewise, Dominique refined her skill sets as well. Um, so I think that's kind of a microcosm for how things were over the pandemic. Okay. Um, there's, and, and we, can, we can talk in great detail about this, but it was really interesting um, as an actor, there were a huge number of opportunities actually available for us, which sounds mm. super contradictory. Um, okay. A bunch of casting directors, a bunch of agents and managers, they were just doing open calls. And, yeah. Just to, to, to give you a little bit of um, insight into it, generally, if you don't have managerial or, or an agency rep representing you, you don't usually have access to a good amount of like the co-star, guest star auditions for okay. these like procedural shows, or just shows in general. Uh, likewise, you generally don't get into the, the offices. Like they just don't have the auditions available to you. Um, but you're t I'm talking like super popular network shows were just like, hey, send me something. Like send me mm. yourself doing a monologue. There were a bunch of like really fun challenges. Like send me a video of you doing this scene like without any prep. And then another video of you doing it and actually practicing and, and showing the contrast. And there were just so many challenges. And that was amazing. Just that the fact that that was available to us and it was so accessible. But it was also 
another stressor because you're like thinking, crap, there's all these opportunities. How can I not take advantage of these? I mm. need to do everything. Like mm. I'm looking at my audition history tracker for the year and it's like April was literally like seven auditions like each day just because it was like, all right, now open call here, open call here, open call here while interviewing for jobs, while finishing masks. It was insane. I'm sorry. I so, could go on. Like while, while stressful, positive though. Yes, it was super Wait, positive. Okay. All right, it's, that's cool. So it's, it's, it's something I, that I don't think I've ever seen before, like just how accessible all of that was. Good. I want to make sure that we say something positive. Otherwise, Dominique's going to be like, hey, guys, <laughs> cut that negativity out. But so, okay. All right, boss lady, back to you. What, what, has, uh, what have you done with this time? I happen to know because I, because I asked you in the past about it. But please tell us about this writer exchange and, and what, you, what you've been able to do with this time because it's amazing. Oh, and before you answer that question, um, Mask. <laughs> yeah, one second. Um, I just want to say that Mask is what brought this, what brought this, uh, this group together. Um, I saw the film. I told Jay about it. Uh, it's powerful. It's, it was enough to make me go, uh, Yo, Jay, we need, you know, we need these two on um, and we can just we'll figure out what we're going to talk about with them at a later time. Just let's just get them. Yeah. It's, it's cool being able to, <laughs> it's cool. Um, and I hope that anyone who's listening watches the film and then comes back and listens to this conversation again, cause it's cool watching the film and then hearing you give the background of like when you were doing the film and everything that went behind it. Cause you watch it and it's great and it's awesome. And there's so much to it, but it's five minutes long. Right. And then you never think like, there's this whole other, like you guys could do a film about the making of that film. That would probably- but that would cost more money because that's a behind the scenes shooter, FYI. Yeah. <laughs> but you can use all your skill sets that you've picked up. <laughs> all right, sorry, Dominique. All the men are done? Yes. Okay. <laughs> Just checking. <laughs> so, you know, the, the pandemic has been a lot in a lot of ways to a lot of people. One silver lining, I have to say, has been accessibility in a lot of ways. But the, the first one I'm going to bring up, you know, the disability community in the very beginning of the, the pandemic brought up the idea of, hey, all those things that you said that we couldn't do, we can. These things are more accessible. And that, you know, that translates to other people, people who their kid got sick and their boss was saying, no, you have to come to work today. And they were struggling and stressing to choose between their job and their kid and who's going to watch the kid. You know, so many different people from so many different walks of life can relate to this. Being told, no, you cannot do this job remotely. If you're a caretaker caring for someone else who's sick, you know, this was all happening before the pandemic, but no one cared about accessibility. A lot of things are now open and free. A lot of information, a lot of education is out there for free. When it comes to you know racial and socioeconomic barriers, that was a big barrier that we had before that kind of was lowered a little bit during this time. And so that's part of how Read Latinx Writers Initiative was born. So for instance, if you're someone who works on set, sets were closed for a really long time. They kind of yeah. just opened like maybe two months ago and they're still, they're much smaller. It's really hard to get on set. And so what was one thing that we could do during the pandemic? You could edit or you could write. <laughs> so I was editing masks. So I had that side taken care of and I was doing a lot of writing. And something that I saw 
you know, there's, there's lots of different communities. If you're on Twitter, it's a great community for writers. I recommend all the writers get on there. Everybody's on there. Everybody's mm -hmm. talking. Everybody's very accessible. And so that's actually how I became the teaching assistant to Eric Linus Kaplan. He's a co-EP on the CBS show called Young Sheldon. And so I started working with him because he created a free story structure class for writers of color. And so I was the TA for the Latinx writers class. And kind of inspired by what he did, I had seen other people doing tiny initiatives here and there. Someone saying, hey, I wanna get to know more Asian writers, send me your stuff. Hey, more LGBTQIA stories, send me your stuff. And I was trying to encourage people to do it for Latinx Heritage Month and it wasn't really gaining any steam but I had already, through Eric's class, I created something called the Industry Insider Series. If you go on Iron Glove Productions, you can find it. And I was interviewing showrunners. I was interviewing, and if, for people who don't know, showrunners are usually the creator of the show, and they have all of the creative control of a TV show. So they're like a writer and a producer at the same time. They have final say on casting, the look of the show, the scripts. They decide where all the money goes. It's a big, big job. And so, you know, I asked these people who run TV shows to come speak to my class. And then I put them on YouTube, made the public for everyone. And now you can go see the showrunner of the Selena series talking about how he started making TV. We haven't released it yet, but the showrunner of Pose, I got him too. And he's going to tell you all about how he started as an artist and his growth through Pose. Mm -hmm. And so that's all this like mentor information that's really hard to get one-on-one, -on -one, but we put it on video. Mm. And now I said more than that, more than meeting people, how do you get hired? And something that Moises Zamora, the showrunner of Selena said was his whole writer's room was by recommendation. People had referred them. Mm. He said, you know, I could read scripts all day, but I wasn't gonna mm. interview someone or read a script who did not come from recommendation. And so, what I realize is we need people to know us as writers. And so I hit up people from my network that had met by doing these interviews. And I said, hey, you know, I'm not asking for anything right now, but just wondering, like, what's stopping you from reading a Latinx writer this Latinx Heritage Month? And they were just like, can you just find me someone? Like, someone was like, oh, I write sci-fi, so that's the kind of person I can help. So just find me a sci-fi person. And I said, oh, that's it? Okay. Hey. Of course, it's not like that's it. I also did yeah. a very... Um, fun campaign on Twitter. And I think that helped a lot because I would do these really fun tweets that would have little shout outs to the shows they wrote on. I was like a shameless plug when it was a shameless uh -huh. writer who signed up. And so as people signed up, I put these little gifts and these little funny jokes and everybody wanted to see their name. Like so-and-so signed up to be a mentor. You should too. And then we got like the co-showrunner of One Day at a Time. We got showrunner mm -hmm. of Queen of the South. We got, sorry who I'm missing people because I know there's probably showrunners like, hey, I'm in there too. We got so many people who were just really high level, really amazing people. You know, Verve Talent Agency supported, the WGA supported, so many, so many people. I gotta give a big shout out to the junior execs who came through, you know, a lot of Disney execs came through and they were all supporting this. And so now I had about a hundred mentors and I could take about 100, 200 mentees. And this isn't a small ask. Reading a script is not a small, it's not the same as just having a meeting. Mm -hmm. So these people are reading a script, then they're having a meeting, they're sharing notes on, they're sharing their feedback. And, and I just think that we've, I've created something that I'm really proud of, but we've also been really lucky to have that support because I can That's facilitate great. it, but I cannot be 100 mentors with 
all that level of experience in drama, comedy, animation. I I just can't have all of that for people. So I I really got lucky that people wanted to support this. And now we have this this mafia, (laughs) we call it the Read Latinx Writers (laughs) Initiative and we're helping each other out. We're helping people get jobs. It's really exciting. (laughs) That's, uh, wow, yeah. Talk about talk about things that we can make whole shows around. I think that's one yeah. when you were talking, you were like, you were like the showrunner from here, the showrunner from there. And I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> I wanna I wanna I wanna talk more about this. Uh, you definitely hit a nerve one day at a time. I'm tired of us having to try to save that show and it's such oh, a show. It's such it's a really good sad. show. It's like I know. If, if you're listening to this and you haven't watched that show, watch it and sign yeah. a petition or if you want a network, scoop it up. It's yeah, that show is getting a, a a bad. It's 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 just. And it shouldn't. doesn't make a lot of sense because it's usually rated extremely high, like a hundred percent on everything. And when they did release the demographics, or I don't know if that's the word, the data of how often it was watched, it was one of the top stream shows on Netflix when it was on Netflix. It's just. Yeah, There's so it, many people screaming, please don't get rid of the show. And they're like, yeah. no, never mind. <laughs> and then, yeah, and then Pop TV was like, oh, we're going yeah. in a different direction now. And that, it's such a, it's such a like, we don't want to tell you why we're doing this. So we're going to use some like industry yeah. jargon and then like close the door. Be like, okay, thank you. Yeah. See yeah. you later. <laughs> um, and then show reruns of things that no one wants to see. Because <laughs> uh, I guarantee you like... 80% of the people that tune into pop TV to watch that show didn't even know what channel pop TV was before they found out that show was on there. And it's like, it's such a sad, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Myself included. Um, and I, and I hope they feel that hit and it wakes sure. them up to the fact that you need to, you need to really look at, you know, these types of shows that show representation. And there are people out there that are just like, they're grasping for stuff like this. They, they, they are tired of seeing the same storylines over and over again with the same people, um, with those same six actors that are all the same person. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they want it. And um, no, but really your whole initiative and, and that whole idea is amazing. And I, and uh, yeah, I've, I've never heard of anything like it. And it's one of those things where it's, it's really taking such a, you know, quote unquote, negative time in our world and putting such a spaz- positive and, and cool spin on it. And I commend you for that. It's Thank amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> so um, Crespo's question about like how filming is actually happening. It's it's really interesting. I mean, the the, the union that, that um, represents uh, actors, they have pretty strict guidelines in regards to like how to film in, in a safe manner there's the creation of new positions on set to make sure that everyone is COVID compliant and and staying six feet apart having a proper PPE all that stuff um it's I've, I've heard stories about like of course it costs more because you have more um roles to fill but at the same time uh the accessibility is crazy like you'll have generally Dominique kind of alluded to it or actually explicitly spoke about the idea of writers being out in LA and just being in LA, but now it's like, you can just zoom in from anywhere. Um, and you can be in Texas and you can be in the writer's room or, and, and whatnot because of the fact that we're in this post or the Zoom world. So there, there are some benefits of it. Of course, the downside is that there was a good amount of projects that had to be canceled, a good amount of um, shows that were pushed back and, and, and whatnot. And, but there are, there are you know, silver linings to, to be thankful for. 
we recently had an episode where we spoke about uh, the accountability of artists. Uh, there's always been an interesting cross-section uh, of the film industry and politics, current events. Do you ever feel um, like an extra sense of responsibility to use your platform for change? And I think you've already answered a lot of this. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like some of it may be redundant, but, but obviously at the same time, um, some of the things you you did it may not be because of a sense of accountability but do you you know do you wake up and say you know i need to do something today that pushes this forward like if it's not me no one is going to do it like so i'll take that absolutely I, honestly the reason that's why i started making things i was really busy in school and i had always been someone who was committed to community service but I didn't always have the time to take on what I used to and do my art for me and be in school and do, you know, a job and, 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 right? And so I realized that by making a film that had a message that started certain conversations, the thing I love about film too is that it's recorded so it lives on. Mm -hmm. I, I know Amilcar will say this too, when you start as someone who is a stage performer, there's an energy and we, we all miss the stage. Everyone is missing the stage right now. But the beauty of film is that you can record it and you can send it across the world. You can watch it three weeks from now. You can watch it four times in one week without the actor being there. And so that message can keep being spread. You know, the first short film that I made was screened out in California when I was still here, right? It was at Google, it was at Facebook. It was at all these screenings all over the, the country, all over the world. Mm. You know, it takes a lot to make a film, but then, as I said, it's this reproducible message. And so that was a really beautiful thing that I could have arts, which really fulfilled me, but also have that giving back aspect, that impact on the world that I wanted to try and have. Mm. Yeah, I think to kind of add on that, it's like, you know, you have this this message that you're giving through the project that you've produced, um, but there's so much more than just the message that's in the film. It's also the message in the actual production. It's like the conscious decision to cast diverse actors, um, to cast diverse crew members. Uh, and I'm talking like full range diversity, like not just like um, ethnicity, I'm talking, you know, LGBTQ, I, like everything you can think of. Having that representation in both your crew and your cast, that sends a message as well. You know, some of the um, some of the the other grant winners of of Art with Impact, they were that was that was one of their pride prideful things that they said they were able to make this with a completely um, like trans crew, for example, and that's amazing. Um, I might be wrong in that specific one, but like the idea of having that kind of right. goal is is very important. And I think, you know, my 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 goal when it comes to arts is to always try to write or play a character as authentically as I can, and through that be able to um, say something that will hopefully move my my viewers. But anytime you write something, you know, there's always the idea of what is the what is it that you're trying to say and as an actor anytime you're trying to understand or anytime I'm trying to understand the character that I'm playing there's always the idea of what was the author or the, the screenwriter trying to um trying to convey through this specific character there's mm. different levels of a message both the product itself and then that character what are they trying to say um and it, it it's so important to think about that it 
there's no point in having art, I think, with, without having some kind of voice that you're trying to get out. And as, Afro, as an Afro-Latino, as, as a person of color, I, I think it's very important that we make sure that we are saying the messages that we would have wanted to hear as, as kids growing up, not getting any kind of representation because who else but us can properly tell our stories? And of course, you can you can watch like just things for fun. I'm not saying that everything has to be like super poignant, but if you're writing something, if you're creating something, try to find that avenue to express yourself and express your point of view and your message. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was that's the duality of Jay's uh, Jay's question was was exactly that because you know there's also because it's because it's work, you know, and and there there's that there's that angle of it because somebody's got to pay the bills, like we say in the beginning of the podcast, you know. Yeah, we have, we do a lot of shows, Well, we've done a fair amount of shows, I think. Uh, and there's certain shows that we definitely, I know me personally, I have to go back and digest the whole thing again. And this is going to be one of those um, where I have to watch it or listen to it and watch it. I have the luxury of watching it, but uh, listen and watch it a few times to really catch everything that I've probably missed. Um, you guys have been uh, absolutely amazing uh it's it's great when we can have guests on here that basically just put everything out there um and mm -hmm. i think you guys are super genuine uh and we I, i'm speaking for for crestwell at this point but yeah. uh we love having people like you on here and you guys are amazing individuals artists actors producers i would go through your whole resume but um mm -hmm. we're running low on time so uh so if you haven't listen to our show before we end all our shows the same way uh and being that i started it uh d i'll let you end it and oh. let them know how we're gonna what everyone that comes on our show needs to do okay well we have uh, a fun little segment that we call copy collab and erase we're going to give you three individuals and you are going to have to decide if you would like to cut who you would like to copy, who you would like to collaborate with, and who you would unfortunately have to erase from the equation. Nothing mm -mm. personal <laughs> for the person that you're going to erase. Um, it's This is all in good fun. All right. Are you ready? Okay. Yeah. All right. Dominique, John Favreau, Jordan Peele, and Issa Rae. Okay. <laughs> um, let's be honest here. Okay, so what are the three things I have to do so I can say all of them? Yeah. Okay. I'm only so you think about one right so now. You need to. You pick one person that you would like to copy. You can either would copy their career, their acting style, um, who they are as a Work person, style. any someone you would love to collaborate with to do something alongside them. And then one person has to go. See you later. Like go from like the zeitgeist or go from like who I can work with. Uh, they just yeah. gotta let's go. Be, let's be ideal. Let's just be, let's just be, let's live in utopia for a moment. Darn, this is real hard. Okay, so I really love Issa Rae's work and I love her trajectory. And that's something that obviously I think is something that I would want to quote unquote copy. Also, she's like so pretty, it's distracting. Not that that, and like for the record, that's like not all that women bring to the table, but like she just is also, also has that. Um, <laughs> and then I don't know, I think, 
it's hard because I actually like so I, I googled real fast to see the the what do you call it the the background and so John is apparently from from New York um and I'm a big fan of superhero movies big fan of Elf but <laughs> I think um Jordan Peele has some really interesting work that I yeah. I kind of work that I aspire to do when it comes to the type of storytelling this kind of stories I want to say so John I'm sorry Ooh. yeah I would like it Amilka the same I am terrified wait same people <laughs> yeah it's the same people. okay good same people. I had some time yeah, to think people. about it <laughs> um damn it's I had time to think about it but I'm nope, just saying you, damn. you gotta do it now <laughs> so I am a huge, huge Marvel fan. And like, I'm not a fanboy. Like, I'm not going to fight like between DC or whatever. I love DC too. But it's just like, I love all of that stuff. So it's just like, damn, I, I oof. And then, I took one, you get the other. <laughs> uh, Dominique just said she took one, I could get the other. Um, so, and then like, great points by Dominique. You know, Jordan Peele has, 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 has been making riggy, riggy, complex and interesting things and both in regards to speaking about really important topics for um black americans and and, and just black the black african diaspora mm -hmm. as a whole as a whole but then also just for the horror genre like mm. completely like reinvented it um and then Issa Rae is Issa Rae like that's like that's like like you know like insecure is like, like the idea of insecure and being able to create something like that and just like how the, the the story of how that became a product and 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 how successful it's been it's just like ugh, I, uh, this is rough um so sorry what are the three exact words it's like yeah happy... I, I see what you did there i see you, you <laughs> try to talk us into the point that we were just gonna be like no nah, it's fine it is copy collaborate and erase okay um oof okay so i'm gonna say i would love to copy jordan peele because I love the idea of coming in, like doing a bunch of comedy stuff, being really funny and just having fun with that and then completely switching the mm -hmm. game. Like just like, oh, you thought I was funny. No, I'm terrifying. Like all of my content <laughs> is just like straight, like nightmare fuel. Yeah. Um, so I, I really like that idea. Um, Sorry, did I say collaborate? Okay, yeah. cool. You say, I'm just yeah. like, the three words are very similar in regards to what they, okay, so collaborate. I think, I think I'm gonna go with Issa Rae on that one. Oh, I'm so mad. I'm gonna go with Issa Rae on that one. Just because uh, I think, again, the, the it's important. The message is so important. The The type of work that she puts out and not quite with Jordan Peele, to be honest, like the type of work that they put out, the type of representation that they're giving to people of color, it's, it's, it's so important. And, and I, I think the idea of working with someone who like understands the the indie approach and mm. then has worked both in that indie world and now like in, in a completely non-indie world it's like it's so interesting to, to be able to pick her brain and i would mm. love to be able to do that and learn from her and as a result that would be the great collaboration and i'm gonna have to erase john also and that's so depressing because i love like all of his stuff and i'm a big fan but, to, yeah to be sorry. to be fair to be fair i don't think that john Favreau is going to uh be affected by this no, no, he's he's <laughs> offended. He'll he'll be very offended. Be very he, offended. he knows me. We're homies, and now I've just like broken his heart. You're gonna go uh, to a casting, and he's gonna be like, "I know who you I, are." I heard, I heard, I heard you're you on a one love art session. Why don't you go see what Issa Rae's doing, huh? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm gonna stick with it though. That's that's my decision. So we get to participate as well. Um, and Jay, go for it, man. What would you do? Uh, um, what would I do, man? I should have I I should have thought about this beforehand. I told yeah. you. So we, so we may not be in the industry, but we're going to give it our, our best shot and see how as visual artists, uh, we could benefit from these relationships. Um, so I would, I'll, I'll go in a random order here. I would collaborate with Issa Rae. Um, I just think, you know, of, you can look across all her different projects, but, you know, obviously we'll gravitate toward Insecure and it just seems like, such a fun vibe mm. that show is everything from the wardrobe to the writing to music. the casting to the music there's not one part of that project that isn't thoroughly thought out and fun like it's just fun um so i would have to collaborate with her because i think someone who thinks on that level and i can put something together that's so multifaceted where you there's no stone that's unturned um, you're going to learn something mm -hmm. in, in every conversation. Um, so then, then I'll switch gears here and I'll throw him a lifeline. I'm going to copy John. Okay. Um, because he's had the opportunity to do so many cool, uh, superhero and non-superhero things, uh, both, uh, in front of and behind the camera. Uh, and I think that's cool. Uh, you know, very similar to Jordan who does, you know, in front and, and behind the camera. Uh, I love Jordan Peele. I don't want to say I don't, but yeah, in, in this scenario, I would have to erase him begrudgingly. Okay. Is that a term? Yeah, begrudgingly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's see if I could do this, but I can. All right, I'm going to copy um, Jordan Peele, but it's going to not be... Um, it's not going to be based on his uh, his acting ability or his his writing. It's just the idea of being a risk taker, going from one genre to the other and being brave enough to do it and not worried about. I mean, he's probably he was probably terrified about it, but it's uh, it's that idea of 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 just taking that jump and saying like, yes, everybody knows me as a comedian. I can do this too, you know. I'm more than one thing. Um, I'm going to collaborate with John Favreau. I need his. I need his access. I want to get into Marvel. I want to get into <laughs> Star Wars. I want. I want all that. I want. I want to go hang out with Vince Vaughn. I want. Just give me all that access. Every, I want all of it. And then, uh, and the set for Mandalorian. I just. I just want to stand in it for a moment and and just be around all those all those projectors and LED lights and not. Understand. So you're gonna collaborate with him, but not actually do anything. Just no, yeah. be with him. Just yeah, I'm just gonna just be. I'll get him the coffee, with him. bro. I'll get him the standing, coffee. Standing in the set is a lot of work. Like yes, yes. You got yes. the guides are gonna be on. Like, it's it's work. You're like oh, I want to collaborate and I get know what to do anyways. every day. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and uh. I could, and again, I have said this in the past, I could say whatever I want and, and I'll still sound like a bad guy, but I got to erase Issa Rae. <laughs> there you go. Um, that was awesome. Uh, <laughs> just so you guys know, there's never a right answer here or a good answer or oh, there was right we, we, we wait. We, oh, <laughs> this is why we do it at the end of the episode because we did in the beginning, people would just walk out and they would just be like, we're done. We're not answering any more of your questions. This is horrible. 
Um, it would be like a really bad like presidential press conference. You would just walk <laughs> off. Um, but that was your answers were were awesome. And again, you guys are candid and and upfront. And thank you. Um, so with that, uh, we are done here. Uh, you guys, thank you again. Uh, this episode has been amazing. I've learned a lot. I will listen to it six more times. Uh, and we hope to definitely have you guys on again. Please uh, keep us abreast of any upcoming projects, new projects, grants, initiatives. Yeah, anything, anything that you want to add in the world. Anything you want us to add into the show notes, give it to us. Uh, we won't bombard everybody right now with that information, but we do want to provide it. So you just let us know. We'll tack it onto the show notes. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you. This is great. One Love Art Sessions couldn't have been complete without the wonderful guests and even more so, our wonderful community. And you, our listeners, we'd truly appreciate it if you took some time to rate and review the podcast. With your help, we could increase listenership and get these incredible stories and messages out to a greater audience. The music used in this podcast was created by Pound, aka Chris Lee. Thanks for listening. Subscribe. One Love. One Love.